morning. I love uh, being with all of you, and boy, Eli did a great job leading worship this morning, and, um, and uh, way to go to our parents, uh, dedicating. I love every time I hear that, then they describe the, those little children, the next generation, and I go like, well, what generation am I? I mean, that's really getting, like, I'm getting pretty removed from the next. So, anyway, that's the way it is. So, uh, several months ago, someone came up to me after one of our worship services and uh, said, Steve, you know, I've, I've got a request. I'd, um, don't be distracted, I'm sure that'll be okay. <laughs> All right. Um, y'all with me? All right. So, um, they, um, I'm distracted. No, I'm joking. I'm not. Uh, so they said, I've got a request. They said, um, you know, knowing that next year will be your last year as Brookside's leads pastor, they said, you know, it would be really nice if uh, at the end of next year, hi, Eli. Yeah, good to see you. Okay. Okay, we'll just, I'll keep talking. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so they said it would be really great at the, at the end of next year. Uh, if, you would, if you would take and, and create a set of sermons where you would talk about, and, and looking back over what will, next year will be 40 years for me, 30, 35 here at Brookside and five years in Wisconsin before coming here. It would be really nice, they said, if you, would, if you would do a set of sermons where you would talk about what you've learned over 40 years. It's really most important for us to be able to understand as followers of Jesus Christ. You know what? Uh, 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 this you must do kind of set of set of sermons. I thought about that, and I mean that that conversation really got my attention, and I I thought about it, and and um, and I you know I started asking questions of myself, like well, really like well, what would that set of sermons look like? What what are the the top things that I would want to talk about that I would say are must dos for those of us. Who, who want to maximize the life that God created us to live and really maximize everything that we can do as followers of Jesus Christ. So that led me, uh, at the very beginning of here, and I'm, I'm going to do more than just today, it led me to do, uh, begin planning two things. One, what I'm going to do this morning, and that's to, uh, to begin the first of four sermons uh, out of the Old Testament book of Daniel. And they, I'm doing four because they, they deal with a specific topic. And I'll, I'll unwrap that for us this morning. And the second is to do something that some of you know that I, I really had started talking about this maybe a couple of years ago and have been debating it in my mind whether or not to do. And, and, and really, uh, uh, the question, that request that was made of me settled in, in my mind. And that is to lead us as a church next year in as many of us as I can convince to do this, to read through the Bible in 2016. Uh, I just think that would be a, a wonderful thing for us to do as a church family. And, and I've got to tell you, if I, if I, if I had any doubt, and, which I don't, but if I had any doubt about doing this series that we're going to be doing in the book of Daniel, the Old Testament book of Daniel that's tucked between a large prophetic book, the book of Ezekiel, and some, uh, a bunch of smaller prophetic books. 
if I, if I had any doubt about doing what I'm beginning to do this morning, what happened in Paris last weekend settled that forever in my mind. I, you know, where, where in a matter of a few hours, we saw how quickly our world can be changed from a place that is relatively uh, safe and easy to live in to one that is dangerous and, and very hard to live in. And here's why this has settled in my mind. Because I know that, and I, I don't know where I, I'm going to place all of these in terms of like what's the most important, but I know way up there, one of the things that is very important for us as followers of Jesus Christ is that we're prepared for hard times. And I know now that hard times are here. We're not isolated anymore as a nation. The rest of the world where people are already experiencing those hard times, that's now come to America. That is our, our present reality. That's what our future is going to be. And so I know that it, it is very critical, very important for me to do everything I can to convince each one of us to be prepared for the hard times that are sure to come into our lives. And, and, and some of you would say this morning, you know what, Steve? Uh, what's happening in my life right now, I'm in a hard place already, and no question about it. Some of you, whether it's a, for physical reason or financial or whatever, some of you right now, you're in a, you're a, you are in a very hard times. And so certainly what I'm going to be talking about today and for the next four Sundays is going to be very relevant for your life in a very specific way, but I would say relevant for all of our lives because hard times are coming. Hard times are coming to America, and we would, be, we would be foolish to not be prepared. Wisdom would be, prepared, would be to be prepared for the hard times. Now, why I've chosen the book of Daniel is that I think that if there's anyone, anyone who can show us how to be prepared, it's Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, that because uh, th these, these guys, when they were very young, were ripped out of their homes, taken a thousand plus miles to the capital city of, of their number one enemy, uh, the Babylonian Empire. Now, let's do a little bit of imagining, all right, to really get inside of this story. To get what it really meant for Daniel and his friends, imagine that what happened to their nation, Judah, Way back then, imagine this happening to our nation today. Imagine America defeated by another superpower. And frankly, you know, since 2011, this is a lot easier to, to understand that as a possibility. And i got to say, and I'm sure you'd agree, I've heard more people in 2015 talking about this as something that could happen to America than I've ever heard in my, in my whole life. Okay, then imagine... The nation that defeats us being as hostile toward Christianity and as brutal and barbaric as ISIS is today. And then once you have this picture in your mind, then imagine yourself captured by ISIS and, and taken from America to the very heart of the land that they control. In fact, you could say, and I don't think it's changed in the last week, but I think they would still say that the city of Raqqa in Syria they claim as their, as their capital. Now, to really get a picture of what happened in that first chapter of Daniel to Daniel and his three friends, 
See yourself as a 12-year-old or 13-year-old or a 14 or 15-year-old kid, okay, teenager. And where this becomes very real and, frankly, alarming for us is if you're a parent of a son or a daughter this age. Yeah, I want us to really get into this. We understand we're talking about some real stuff here that, that really can impact our lives. You see, what happened to Daniel is this very thing. He was this young when his own nation was defeated by the Babylonian Empire, an empire ruled by a, a, as godless and brutal a dictator that our world's ever seen, a man with absolute power to do whatever he pleased, and he did some pretty awful stuff. Now, Daniel's captured, taken to the capital of this empire, and he's forced to serve this king who very likely killed his own parents. All right? That's the context. Now, what I'd like us to see, beginning today and for the next three Sundays, is how Daniel not only survived, but he thrived in the most difficult circumstances that any one of us can imagine. How Daniel was prepared for a very hard and a very challenging life. And what we learn from this first chapter, before anything else, and this you want to write down, if you're going to take notes, These next few sentences are key to this sermon. It's this, that Daniel resolved to live a holy and God-honoring life. Come what may, this is the life that he would live. And this was not something, this was not a decision that he suddenly made in the moment. It was a predetermined resolution. Before any hard thing that he faced before any temptation to compromise was ever there, Daniel pre-decided uh, pre what he would and he would not do. And that, we just cannot miss that because it's key to Daniel's success in living a holy and a God-honoring life. Before any hard thing that he faced, before any temptation to compromise was ever there, he preceded, he before all of that, he predecided what he would and he would not do. Now, what I hope to convince all of us of this morning is that you can do no less. You can do no less if you're going to be prepared for the challenging and the hard times that are sure to come our way. So, so that that you do live a holy and God-honoring life where you're not merely surviving, but you're thriving in the hardest times that will come into your life. Now, so let, let's see how Daniel did this, all right? So Daniel chapter 1, again, if you got your Bible, uh, Old Testament, you got uh, uh, toward the end of the Old Testament, you got the book of Ezekiel, big, big book, very long, and then you got Daniel, and then you got all these little uh, short books. At the end, all right? So, first chapter of Daniel, we read this. In the third year, third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. And these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Now, 
So first, a bit of history. Uh, so we can under this, understand the context of what happened in this first chapter. I don't know if you know, but uh, Israel's first king was David. And when David uh, dies, his son Solomon takes his place. And under the reign of both David and Solomon, uh, the nation of Israel became a, a very great nation. It, it, it rose to the level of superpower status in the world back then. But when Solomon died, it all came apart. The, the nation was split in two, Israel to the north and Judah to the south. And, and, and on both sides, with each succeeding king that they had, there was this, this like almost unstoppable downward spiral, both morally and spiritually. No matter how many prophets God sent to them to warn them that if it kept going that way, God was going to bring judgment on them, nothing stopped it. They just kept getting worse and worse. I mean, do, doing awful, awful kinds of things, like offering their children as sacrifices to the idols that they had begun to worship. Until finally... God's judgment comes, and the superpower of Syria attacks and defeats Israel in 720 B.C., and, and then Babylon, the, the whole Babylonian empire, comes out of nowhere, defeats Assyria, becoming the world's new superpower, and, and then it's after that that Babylon attacks Judah in 610 B.C., all right? And so that's the context. And Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. And like other rulers back then, his whole strategy to prevent the, the nation that he conquered to rebel against them is that he would take the king away into exile to Babylon and along with him all the leaders, anybody that, that had any ability whatsoever to lead a rebellion against them. And so a whole lot of people were killed. A few people, the, the weakest, were left back in Judah, people that were no threat. But anyone who had any potential to be a threat was taken off to Babylon. Now, included in this group were the brightest and the best of Israel's nobles. And that's where Daniel's story begins. And so we read this, all right? Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the, the language and the literature of the Babylonians. Uh, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And they were to be trained for three years. And, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. And to Hananiah, Shadrach. And to Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. What happened here is a very intentional indoctrination into the Babylonian culture. Nebuchadnezzar takes the, the best of the best of Judah's young elite 
and he puts him into a three-year training program, all right? At the end of which, Nebuchadnezzar's goal is that they'll believe what the Babylonians believe. They'll think how the Babylonians think, and they'll live how the Babylonians live. I mean, this is a total setup. A total setup for these young men to turn away from everything they had been taught all of their life. And most serious of all is to turn away from the true God, the God of Israel, the God of Judah, and to begin worshiping the gods of the Babylonians. Think about this. Here they were, young men, teenagers, as young as 12, 12, 13, 14, 15, in the capital the capital, the world's superpower, the, the most beautiful city in the ancient world. I mean, think of any one of our world's greatest cities, uh, New York City, London, Dubai. Think of any one of those. Babylon was that city. The only difference is it was no question in anybody's mind. It was the place to be. If there was any city in Daniel's day that had Everything anyone could possibly want, Babylon was that city. It, it provided every opportunity to get the best education you could have, every opportunity to, to get wealthy, every opportunity to be able to mix with all the right people, to just keep elevating yourself, you know, and in every way you wanted, to, you wanted to do this. And this was especially true for those who were in the circle of the elite. And that's exactly what Daniel and his three friends were now positioned to become. But, as good as they might have thought that life had become for them, they were in the most dangerous place they had ever been in their life because everything about it was as toxic to their faith as it could possibly be. In fact, I would say if their parents were still living, which I doubt, but if they were still living and, and they had been faithful to God, this, this would have been the worst thing they could ever have imagined happening to their sons. Now, I try to make a comparison to today today you know what we go through maybe as parents and it's and maybe and this is like a really minor kind of a comparison I mean okay but we feel it right and that is when you send your son or daughter off to the university right and and you, you know you know that their faith and their commitment to God is going to be challenged like never before and you're not going to be there with them to walk them through it you know, every day. So what did Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego do? As young as they were, as young as they were, how did they respond to all of this? Well, I can tell you, they did well. They did well because they had resolved to live a holy and God-honoring life. This was a predetermined resolution. Before any hard time came, before any temptation to compromise was ever there, they had predecided what they would and they would not do. That's the deal. Now, it's interesting to see where the line was that they wouldn't cross. 
They, they didn't refuse to learn the language and uh, really the language and the literature of the Babylonians. They, they didn't refuse the, the opportunity. Well, they, they weren't given a choice, but they, weren't refuse, they, you know, they didn't refuse the opportunity to serve in the king's palace. They didn't say, we're going to die before we do that. Just put us to death. They, they didn't even reject the new names that had been given to them. And none of those became the line that they wouldn't cross but they did draw the line when it came to the food that they ate. And so we read this in verse 8. But Daniel, and you can just know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were with him. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. And so you read that and you ask yourself the question, well, what's the deal with the food and the wine? It's a big deal. What was there about it that for them to eat the food and drink the wine would defile them? Well, and honestly, in all honesty, biblical scholars really don't have a definitive answer. You can read and you'll find there's, uh, you know, a, a number of different reasons that are given. But nobody can say it with, like, absolute certainty that this was it. Most likely... And most scholars believe this. Most likely, it was that that food and that wine, they did this, the Babylonians did the same thing to it that most ancient cultures did that worshipped all these different gods. Before they would eat it, before they would drink the wine or eat the food, they, they did this thing where they would, they would offer it as, as an, you know, bring it to their idols, their gods that they worshipped and offer it, you know, make it an offering. And then they would eat it. So, you can understand why this is such a big deal. Whatever it was, they knew that it would defile them. And this is where they drew the line. They wouldn't do anything. They wouldn't do anything that violated the holy and God-honoring life that they were called to live. And the key word here is resolved. Resolved. Daniel resolved not to defile himself. He made a predetermined resolution. And I'll say it again. Before any hard thing that he faced, any hard time, before, before, before any temptation to compromise was ever there, Daniel predecided what he would and he would not do. Don't miss that. That's the big lesson today. It's, it's the key to Daniel's success in living a holy and God-honoring life, a life that isn't merely surviving but thriving in the hardest of circumstances. Now, I think, I believe, in many ways, verse 8 is the hinge point of the whole first chapter. In fact, I'd even say it's a hinge point of the entire book. It's, and maybe I would even say it's a, that, that everything turns here. Daniel got this right, and it set the course of his life. And I'd argue, argue all day long for every one of us who are followers of Christ, the same is true for us. The success, our success in, in so many spiritual avenues is determined what we decide ahead of time. So, I know right now for some of you, 
there are some things that you need to predetermine in your heart. Because the way it is right now, you're, you're not truly resolved to living a holy and godly life. There's stuff happening in your life that shouldn't happen because you're leaving the door open. You, you haven't resolved yourself not to defile yourself. It might be pornography. I mean, it's just frightening to me to read the statistics of the number of believers in Christ who pornography is a part of their life. That, that might be where you're at right now. You're looking at stuff you have no business to look at. Or it might be greed. Or it might be gossip or deceit or envy. It might be intimate conversations with someone of the opposite sex. Conversations that you should not be happening. Should not be happening. It might be cheating at school or cheating on your taxes. It might be undermining your boss or your co-workers. It might be sexual intimacy outside of marriage. I mean, I could just go on and on and give many different examples. You know what it is in your own life. It might be drugs. It might be alcohol. You know? And it goes both ways. It, it might be that there's things that, that you are not doing that you should be doing. And you need to decide right now that no matter what happens in the future, there are going to be certain things that you're always going to do. Building the right friendships into your life, the right kind of friendships. Worship every Sunday. I mean, i got to tell you, right now, for some of you, it's hit and miss. I read again, I read, I read the, uh, the data, the statistics on this and what's happening on, on biblical churches, Christians who are followers of Christ. Right now, we're talking about many, maybe it's, it's, it's twice a month that you're in church. i gotta, I got to just say, this is a big deal. And we've got to be asking yourself as parents, where are you going to draw the line? Back when I was a kid in Minnesota, in the summer, it was the lakes. <laughs> you know, like, place would empty out. People are at the lake. These days, it seems like the number one one is sports. And I just got to say, parents, I mean, we're talking about building character into the lives of our children. And I ask myself the question, what if it, what if it happened that sports was year-round at what you were going to do? And, and it was every single Sunday. What, what choice would you make? Well, I guess we'll go for sports. But where do you draw the line? I mean, it just, I'm, I'm just speaking from my heart here, okay? You know, time with your wife. Time with your children, spending the time that's needed, caring for your neighbors. I mean, really becoming a part of their life and reaching out to them and loving them. I mean, how else are they going to understand the grace of God? Maybe you're the only one. And serving others. You know, getting outside of a selfish lifestyle and, and, and serving other people. You see, you need to decide no matter what happens in the future, there's some things that you will never do, you will never do, and there's other things that you will always do. That's what Daniel did as a teenage boy, and he continued doing it for the rest of his life. Even though he served alongside some of the, 
the, the most godless leaders in our world. He never compromised his commitment to live a holy and a God-honoring life. So what did Daniel do when he was faced with doing something that he knew he, he would not do? Well, first of all, he had a plan A, and when plan A didn't work, he went to plan B. Oh, and so plan A, here's what plan A was. He, he asked permission from the top guy under Nebuchadnezzar himself if, if, if they, it would be possible for them not to eat the king's food, to eat something else. Who This guy, as much as he liked Daniel, he said, oh, man, I just can't do that. I can't take any chances because if you get, you know, you, you get sick, you, you, you get less healthy, and you come before the king and he realizes what happens, the king is going to, he's going to have my head. And he meant, he, I mean, he meant that literally. He wasn't just talking. You've all heard of hands-on management style, right? Well, Nebuchadnezzar had a heads-off management style. I mean, that's the way that guy worked. See? Um, and so plan A didn't work, so Daniel went to plan B. He went down to the next guy, the next level, to the guy that was guarding him. And he said, can you just give us 10 days, 10 days where we can eat, uh, we can eat vegetables and drink water. And at the end of the 10 days, if we are as healthy as everybody else or even healthier, then we can keep eating that diet. But if we're not, then, then I tell you what, we'll just die. That was plan C. Okay, we'll just die. <clears throat> it's kind of fun. Um, <clears throat> There's, a, there's been a, an, an unbelievable amount of ink spilled over what it was exactly in that diet. I, I thought it would be kind of fun, so I Googled it. And i got to tell you, there's more than you even want to read about on what that diet was, okay? I mean, there's so many theories out there. And, and the truth is, it's a lot harder to know what it really was than what we might think. Because that word in, in, in our Bible, in the Old Testament, vegetables... That's actually not what that word means. It's more like seeds, okay? Uh, so, I mean, it must have been like really a boring diet, you know. I thought broccoli's not so bad, but just eating seeds all the time, you know. Um, but the whole point, okay, is that it had nothing to do with eating healthy. Some of you might be going like, Oh, that's great. I can just keep eating junk food. But no, okay, it, 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 it was all about Daniel not wanting to spiritually defile himself in any way. And personally, my, my theory, I think they did so well on that diet because God was behind it. That's what I think. So what's the end result of all of this? Well, here's, here's what we're told. Verse 17. <clears throat> we read this. <clears throat> So uh, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time, set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. <clears throat> and the king talked with them, and, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than 
all the magicians and enchanters and uh, in, in, the, in his whole kingdom. <clears throat> okay? So end result, they pass the king's test. And Daniel and his friends are promoted to the, to the highest positions in the Babylonian Empire. And then I, I love this. There, there's a bit of irony at this chapter. Okay, don't miss this. At the very end it says this, And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Not, not Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus. This is 66 years later, in 539 B.C., Daniel outlived Nebuchadnezzar. This would be like somebody entering into FDR, Franklin D. Roosevelt's cabinet, back in 1942 and serving all the way until Obama's first term, first year in office in 2008, okay? So Daniel lived a long time. Now, okay, whole point of the story isn't, the whole point of the story isn't, if you want to do well in school, don't eat the food in the cafeteria, Okay, that's not the whole point of the story. The point of the story is re resolve to live a, a holy and God-honoring life before any hard thing you face, before any temptation to compromise comes into your life. Predecide what you will and you will not do. Do this, and not only will you survive, you will thrive. You will spiritually thrive in the midst of the hardest of times. So how do we do this? How do we do this? How do we resolve to live a holy and God-honoring life? So to answer this question, let's first watch this video. And I think you'll enjoy it. Anybody else see that? Yep. Okay, if you're, a, if you're a Royals fan, you could watch that highlight all day long. All right? And if you're not a sports fan, what I want you to know, that's, that's in game one of this year's World Series. The Royals are down to their final two outs in what is really a pivotal opening game in this series. All right? And they... they, they um, uh, they're, they're down, they're down, uh, uh, they're behind by one point, by one point, okay, right? What did I say wrong? Run, run, one run. Oh, yes. Oh, Luke, Luke is out there just laughing right now. Basketball, basketball. All right, this is not the one we're going to put online. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Yes, cannot believe it. I, there's such a story behind this. It's just so bad. It's just uh, all right. Okay, they're down by one run. Okay, and they're facing really a dominant pitcher. 
Jury's familiar, right? A picture that is so dominant that up to this point, they have had 80, he's had 89 days without giving away a single run. That's, you're talking, that's just uh, two days shy of, of three months, right? Incredible. And up to the plate steps, Alex Gordon, who, by the way, is a Nebraska native and a former Husker baseball player. All right, you all getting this? All right, now, I got to tell you, everybody, put yourself in his position, in his place, and you will agree, this was a monumental moment in his career. He might even say his whole life. Because in the game of baseball, nothing's better, nothing beats the World Series. And game one is huge. I don't know if you realize it, but up to that point, 11 out of the last 13 years, the team that won game one, they won the World Series. They took the whole thing. Now, I'll tell you, everybody, you do not step up to the plate and face a pitcher like that, and, and you, you just suddenly wing it, hoping for the best. You don't, that can't happen that way. Literally, years and years of hard work Practice day after day, hours and hours of practice. That's what prepared him for that moment. And I, I just love this quote from the Royals manager about the intensity of this guy, Alex Gordon's whole work ethic. Look at this. Just love it. It's increased, Yo said. He's always the first one here, always the first one in the weight room, always consistent with his routine, never, I love this, never takes a day off, tremendous discipline. That's our answer right there, everybody. That's it. Always consistent, never takes a day off, tremendous discipline. Listen, first and foremost above Everything else, you and I have got to do what I'm convinced Daniel's parents did for him as a child and what he was doing for himself as a teenager, and he did all of his life, and that's to make time every day for the reading of God's Word. Honestly, everybody, without doing this, you will not have what you need to do what Daniel did. You won't have the wisdom to know what's right and what's true. You will not have the strength to persevere in living a God-honoring and a holy life. Next year, I will have had 40 years of ministry to convince me of this. To a person, I have seen those who succeed in their walk with God in their spiritual life make Scripture a daily part of their lives. And those who are not living that kind of a life are hit and miss in their reading of Scripture. I've seen this over and over again. No exceptions. So here's what I want to do for all of us next year. I want to convince as many of you as I possibly can to join me in this journey 
of reading through the Bible in 2016, and not only reading through the Bible, but reading it every single day. And that's why we're titling this, this series. We're given the whole year the title 365. And I know, because I found out right after first service, second person who talked to me told me that next year is what? It's a leap year. And so there's one more day. So you know what that's for? It's for all of you slackers. All right? All right. So we're not changing the title. 365 with a subtitle. One more for you slackers, all right? All right? Okay. And so to help with this, everybody, number one, we're going to provide a reading plan. I've already written it up. Number two, I'm going to preach along with what you're reading every week. This is going to be fun. So what you read, I'm going to preach something out of that set of scripture that you've read that week. It's going to be the whole year long we're going to do this. And that's one of the things I'm hoping is that every single one of our community groups are doing this. And I hope we can form even more groups. Because you know what, you know what the other thing about Daniel, his secret? He had three friends. They had their own small group. They, they were there supporting each other all along the way. And so I think all the more reason to get into a small group if you're not in one. And I need leaders, by the way, okay? Because we want to max this thing out. We're going to talk more about this in the next, uh, next few Sundays. Um, but can you tell I'm a little fired up about that? I really am. Let's, let's stand and, and let's pray. And I'm going to regret part of this sermon forever. <laughs> Doggone it. I'm going to hear about this forever. Okay. Will you pray with me? Yeah. Didn't Eli do a great job? I love our team all the time, every Sunday. So, yeah. Thanks, everybody. Okay, let's pray. Father, I, I do ask that your Holy Spirit would just convince us of what we talked about this morning. I pray, God, that um, we we'll want to be men and women of character, and we we'll want to build character into the lives of our children. And that we'll do what it takes to do what's right, to live godly life, a holy life, a life that honors you. In Christ's name, amen.